1: But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to Slate.com slash Amicus Live for tickets.
2: Colin Diver has never really liked the U.S. News and World Report's ranking system for colleges and universities. But at least he's come to this opinion honestly.
3: Well, I was dean of the University of Pennsylvania Law School from 1989 to 1999, and in my second year as dean, U.S. News started its regular annual law school rankings.
2: Collins says he dreaded the ranking stance each year. First off, it was a lot of work. He had to answer hundreds of questions about grades and test scores for incoming applicants, and then about their salaries once they got out. Then he had to do something called a peer review, where he gave his own personal opinion about 190 different law schools.
3: I had not even heard of many of those law schools. You know, what we were induced to do by the desire to improve our rankings is put ourselves in the top quintile, and put our close competitors in the bottom quintile. And I knew everybody else would do that.
2: Really? (laughs) Because I was going to ask, did you ever consider going totally rogue, like ranking Harvard at the bottom of the pack, just for fun?
3: Oh, yeah. No, at first I did that, just for fun. (laughs) But then I I noticed that the uh, form that they sent me had a number printed in the lower left-hand corner.
2: Oh, an identifier.
3: Yeah, that was the way they would know to disqualify most of my responses. <laughs> At some point, I just gave up filling that form out altogether.
2: It sounds like you just had, like, one problem after another with how the rankings were decided. And I know eventually you left Penn for Reed College, a school that had shunned college rankings entirely, and you've described how freeing that was. But when you spoke to your old colleagues and urged them to ditch the U.S. news rankings, like, join me, be free, what did they say?
3: They said, unilateral disarmament is suicide. And <laughs> Literally? Yes. Yeah, no, I mean, that was exactly what, what at least one college president said to me. The problem, of course, is that U.S. News has built up a franchise, which is very, very influential, very, very powerful. Uh, For a long time, it was essentially the only game in town.
2: Earlier this year, Colin published a whole book about the way he says college rankings are distorting higher ed. But he'd come to accept that he was something of a lone voice in the wilderness here. So you can imagine his surprise when a couple weeks back, he got
4: this news. Yale Law School and Harvard Law School are both bowing out of the U.S. News and World Report's annual ranking of law schools. First, Yale Law School,
2: then Harvard. We're pulling out of U.S. News' ranking game altogether.
0: The trouble with the U.S. News rankings is that over the last number of years, they've started to create a set of metrics that are fundamentally against the basic commitments of this profession.
2: You know what surprised me is how quickly other schools jumped in. Like Harvard and Yale were like, we're doing this. And then within six days, two-thirds of the top 14 law schools in the country, according to U.S. News & World Report, decided they would no longer participate in the rankings from U.S. News & World Report.
3: Right. It it triggered a parade of virtue. And one of my friends said, I guess having a conscience is contagious,
2: Do you think this is the end of US News rankings in general?
3: Well, it could be if this cascade continues.
2: Today on the show, why some of the country's top law schools decided to pull out of US News's influential ranking system. Our colleges, next. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick around. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Can you lay out how
2: the idea of ranking universities, colleges, law schools started in the first place? Like, how did U.S. News become what it is today?
3: Well, the idea actually goes back over a century. There were some um, ad hoc, one, one-off one rankings Uh, back in the early uh, 1900s, that were a reflection of various desires. For example, uh, a group of graduate schools uh, wanted uh, a ranking of undergraduate schools so that they would know whose students they should admit. (laughs) Um, Hmm. And they actually asked the U.S. government, the Bureau of Education, which is the predecessor of the Department of Education, to prepare a ranking of undergraduate schools which then got leaked, and the uh, schools raised holy hell about it, and President Taft decreed that it would no longer be publicly available.
2: God, it just shows how much we humans love sorting. Like, (laughs) we're constantly looking for ways to sort people and things. Yeah,
3: yeah. And off and on throughout the last century, there were um, ad hoc rankings.
2: I always kind of wondered if, like, the rankings became as important as they did because elite education was opening up to more people. Like, it used to be that places like Harvard and Yale were kind of like finishing schools for people who went to fancy boarding schools. Right. But when they started letting in kids from all over, those kids had to understand the value of the schools they were applying to. Like, in a way, was it well-intentioned?
3: Yeah, you could say it was. Um, The other thing that happened was that the market for higher education went from a local and regional market to a national and now increasingly international market. Uh, It used to be um, that most of the people who applied to Ivy League schools came from uh, the Northeast um, and uh, most of the people who went to Stanford came came from California. Uh, But as uh, information became more readily available and transportation costs uh, fell Uh, the market for uh, elite schools became national. And uh, arguably, it became more important to have uh, a national source of information so that uh, somebody in California could choose among Ivy League schools or somebody in Massachusetts could choose whether to go to Stanford. And U.S. News um, stepped into the breach in 1983, uh, initially by simply polling a large a large group of university presidents, and asking them to name uh, the top 10 schools in their field. Um, and um, they then published that. It was popular. Uh, a number of schools that were ranked highly by that method used it in their promotional material. Uh, my own college, Amherst College, came in number one among the liberal arts colleges that year, and it sent a copy of the U.S. News magazine, back in the day when it was a magazine, um, to something like twenty thousand potential applicants.
2: Oh my gosh!
3: So U.S. News said, "Gee, this is um, this is really working. Um, it's really popular." <laughs> And besides, we don't have to advertise our services because all these colleges are going to do it for us.
2: So this is like a symbiotic relationship. It's good for the magazine. It's good for the universities. Everybody's happy initially.
3: Yeah, but of course, a lot of the schools weren't happy who weren't ranked at the top.
2: But I'm sure at the beginning, maybe it was all sour grapes.
3: Sour grapes, yeah. And initially, U.S. News only ranked the top 25 schools.
2: So it's like the rest of them didn't exist.
3: Yeah, but but at least they could feel as though they weren't being um, discriminated against, except to the extent that they weren't included in the top 25.
2: Today, U.S. News ranks 1,500 colleges. That is far too many to rely on word-of-mouth recommendations. So instead, the magazine developed a statistical ranking system, incorporating test scores, grades, and class sizes.
3: Yeah, and spending and all that stuff. And, um That, they claimed, made it much more scientific, much more objective. Uh, It wasn't just a a kind of a beauty contest or an opinion poll.
2: I get the sense you disagree with that, though.
3: Well, you know, I don't like the beauty contest part of it either, as I told you. I, I think that the college presidents and deans don't know nearly enough about the hundreds of schools in their category to be able to confidently rank them.
2: Statistical ranking does something else, too. It gives the whole project an air of certitude. It makes one magazine's opinion seem like a fact. But the way the magazine acquires the information that it feeds into its statistical model has always been dubious. Universities self-report. And this has led to one controversy after another. Just last year, a former dean at Temple University was convicted of lying about the number of students who took an entrance exam prior to being admitted to Temple's online business school. He got sentenced to 14 months in federal prison for that scheme. This spring, top-ranked Columbia University ended up embroiled in one of these false reporting messes, too. I asked Colin if any of these controversies stuck out to him.
3: Well, I think the Columbia one does because it involves the most visible, prominent, prestigious school of all the schools that have gotten caught. Um, It also stands out, frankly, because... There was an internal whistleblower, namely a uh, professor of statistics in their mathematics department, um, who, of course, had tenure because he probably would have been fired for doing what he did if he didn't have tenure, um, and who took the trouble to do research. And he looked at all the internal documents that he could get his hands on and compared the data that Columbia reported in its internal documents to the data that they submitted to U.S. News and found that there were huge discrepancies.
4: New at five, Columbia University has dropped to number 18 on the latest best colleges list from U.S. News and World Report. It comes after the Ivy League school admitted that it had submitted inaccurate data in earlier years. Last year, Columbia was ranked second behind Princeton University. US News
2: yeah, I mean, you really don't have to be doing something illegal to game the system. Like my alma mater, University of Pennsylvania, they did something a little sneakier a few years back. They upped the number of people they were admitting early decision to the undergraduate school and it made their general admissions numbers look more selective and they just kind of cruised up the rankings. And it was I think it was kind of seen as smart at the time. Yeah. I don't know. You're a college yeah. administrator, you'd know better than me.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean that that's correct. Um there, there are various kinds of gaming uh, of the rankings. Uh, the, the you know the Temple Business School is at one end of the spectrum. That's outright lying. <laughs> um, and I think a lot of people do that, frankly. It's very hard to catch them, but a lot of people must do that. Uh, much much more common form of gaming is the example you give, which is you change your practices or your policies. So as to um, improve your score on a ranking measure, even if it isn't something that you would otherwise do. In fact, it may be something that actually undermines your values or your, your academic quality. Um, and that's that, that example of the, the dramatic increase in the number of uh, students admitted through binding early decision um, what that does, of course, is it drives down your acceptance rate because you're only accepting people who have committed to coming and it drives up your yield rate. But what it also does is um, it favors rich applicants because poorer uh, applicants, even middle income applicants, can't afford to commit to a school until they've had a chance to see what other schools will offer them in financial aid.
2: Part of what I think is interesting about the law schools who've dropped out of the rankings just in the last month is that part of the logic for dropping out involved some of the gaming of the system and and how that played out over years. Like one of the metrics that U.S. News used to judge law schools was employment of graduates. And the problem was that sort of incentivized graduates to go to big firms, and some schools started employing graduates themselves. So it looked like their students were getting jobs when they weren't. U.S. News comes in and says, "Okay, we're going to fix that. And they sort of tightened up this loophole. But then the law school said, when you do that, then that makes it look like these people we've given fellowships to to go be public interest attorneys rather than going to big firms. It looks like they're unemployed. It makes us look worse. And it's this kind of interesting, you know, you can see how the loopholes and trying to fix the loopholes gets problematic after a while.
3: Yeah, it does. Uh, and that's a good example. For, for years, the law school rankings were based heavily on uh, employment rate of graduates. Um, And as you say, law schools game to that system by creating phony jobs or short-term, very short-term jobs uh, to hire their unemployed graduates. Um, Well, then the American Bar Association, which is the accrediting agency for the law schools, cracked down on that. And then the law school rankings uh, incorporated the American Bar Association data. Uh, But as you say, then... uh, schools that try to foster public service careers through fellowships and so forth got penalized
2: for it. These law schools dropping out all at once, was it coordinated at all? Like, was there a vision behind it?
3: <laughs> well, the antitrust lawyers are already writing articles about whether there's an antitrust violation <laughs> here. <laughs> really? Um, yes. Uh, and apparently they're there might have been if, the, if these deans actually got together in a smoke-filled room and said, let's agree amongst ourselves to boycott the U.S. news rankings. Uh, I doubt very much that that happened. I'm quite sure they, that it didn't happen. Uh, but they all have the same view of the rankings. They all would love to get out. Um, but they're afraid of doing it uh on their own um so as soon as one of them uh you know breaks the ice dam then the rest of them follow
2: some would call that groupthink
3: <laughs> yeah well it's I, you know it it's 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 a form of groupthink i have to say that when i was a college president we used to talk about the rankings um in our professional meetings and we we would almost unanimously say uh, that we didn't like them, that we thought that they were arbitrary, that they thought they, they were phony. We complained about the fact that we all felt that if we were honest, we were going to suffer by comparison to the dishonest competitors. It's like playing in a rigged game. And so I'm sure the uh, Harvard and Stanford and Columbia and uh, Berkeley and so forth were delighted when uh, Yale uh, took the step it took.
2: After the break, what Colin would prioritize if he was going to overhaul the whole system?
4: This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money If you're a decision maker, adding RAMP could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join RAMP for free. Just go to RAMP.com slash easy. RAMP.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply.
2: The funny thing about law schools leading the charge against the U.S. news rankings, Colin Diver says... Is that law students have become particularly reliant on this annual list when they sort their applications? Many even have a nickname for the very best schools: their T14 or Top 14. Reliably, these are the schools whose students boast the highest scores on the law school admissions test, also known as the LSAT, because that is how U.S. News sorts programs in its statistical model. So I asked Colin, "Why did all this happen?" Now?
3: I'd like to say because I just published my book. (laughs) But but the fact is that uh, there have been published criticisms of the law school rankings and the university rankings just just about as long as there have been rankings. Uh, So uh, I do think that one theory that's been expressed, which is plausible, is that the law schools that are intent on maintaining uh, socioeconomic and racial diversity are anticipating that the Supreme Court in the spring of 2023 is going to declare uh, racial preferences in admission unconstitutional and illegal. Um, when that happens, um, these schools are going to be concerned about how they can achieve uh, the degree of diversity that they care about. Um, so perhaps the law schools have been feeling as though um, they will be trapped if they're still subject to the U.S. News ranking formula that privileges high LSAT scores, for example. Um, they will be trapped into uh, essentially admitting lily-white classes, and they don't want to do that.
2: Hmm. Explain how that works. Like, how is it? How would the rankings influence admissions and interact with affirmative action?
3: Well, to the extent that. Um, your ranking as a law school depends on having uh, an entering class with very high LSAT scores. The sad reality of education in America is that um, most of the people with high LSAT scores are uh, white and Asian and not black and Hispanic. Um, You know, if if you're feeling the pressure to score well on the rankings – and to maintain your rankings, then uh, your admission office is going to feel the pressure to um, put the, uh, let's say, Black or Latino uh, applicant with a low LSAT on the wait list rather than admit
2: them. Now the question is what withdrawing from the U.S. news rankings is going to really mean. Because while law schools can refuse to answer the magazine's questions, it's not like they'll get left off the list entirely. Instead, as they've done in the past, the magazine is likely to plug in its own data. Usually, that'll drop a school down, a few rungs, on the rankings ladder. So if these rankings are just going to keep chugging on anyway, is there a way to make them better? I get the utility of them. As a consumer, the idea that you can make a simple list of the best colleges, it's almost a relief. And Colin says that's the problem.
3: Yeah, it promises to simplify what is a complicated decision. Um, And as I've said often, this is, you know, the the decision of where to go to college or for that matter, where to go to graduate school is one of the most important, consequential, complicated decisions you're going to make in in the first half of your life. (laughs) And uh, it shouldn't be simple. It should be complicated. Um, And you should do your homework. There are several rankings that uh, rank schools by social mobility, which is to say uh, what percentage of your students come from lower income or lower and middle income uh, groups, what percentage of them actually graduate, and uh, what percentage of them end up making uh, postgraduate incomes that are higher than their family income when they attended college.
2: Who's like number one on that list?
3: State colleges like um, the City University of New York um, and uh, the uh, California State Schools, um, mostly public schools that have good programs but admit very high percentages of lower income students. Mm. Um, and there, you know, there are uh, an outfit called Third, Third Way has recently published a social mobility. Uh, ranking. Um, and um, it's fascinating to look at it because, um, you know, the top schools are uh, schools from the uh, city of New York system and the Cal State system. Um, and the Ivy League schools are ranked around 1800th. <laughs> huh.
2: That is really interesting. Like I, I saw this statistic that caught my eye this weekend as I was getting ready to talk to you. It looked at kids from New York City and where they end up in high school and college. It compared kids who go to Horace Mann, a really elite private school, costs tens of thousands of dollars a year. About a third of those kids end up in the Ivy League once they get out. But if you look at Stuyvesant, also a very elite school with comparable test scores and everything, most of those kids are ending up in the SUNY system, the public system. And it made me kind of realize that Elite schools are a little bit back where they started (laughs) as finishing schools for elite kids and super achievers.
3: I mean, the elite schools want to be elite. (laughs) Let's face it. Uh, And one of the ways they want to be elite is by having very, very high rankings, as long as rankings exist. Um, Another way they want to be elite is to uh, generate gigantic amounts of money. Uh, not only by admitting students who will pay the full tuition and charging very high tuitions, uh, but also by admitting students whose parents will make donations to the school and students who will graduate and go on to very high-paying, uh, rewarding, financially rewarding careers and then give back to their alma mater. Um, you know, the, the top schools uh, are spending... Uh, most of them, well over $100,000 per student per year on what they're producing. (sighs) This is not what they're charging. This is what they're spending. Wow! And these schools um, don't want to um, give up on that. (laughs) They just don't. (laughs) You know, uh, people talk about higher education as an arms race, but um, the arms race that the U.S. and the Soviet Union uh, engaged in uh, was a, was a race to have more missiles. It wasn't to spend more per missile. But in the higher education, the arms race is not to have more students in your entering class. It's to spend more per student. Uh, and, you know, for example, over the last 20 years, um, most of the elite schools have doubled the amount they've spent per student. Imagine a world in which they doubled the number of students that they educated <laughs> instead. But the rankings would punish them for doing that.
2: You know, when I'm feeling really cynical, I look at what just happened with the U.S. news rankings, with these very privileged universities, law schools pulling out. And I wonder a little bit if those places have basically gotten all the benefit they can out of these rankings and are now walking away.
3: Well, I, it doesn't explain the holdouts. For example, um the university of Chicago law school has announced that they're not going to pull out of the rankings. Um, and I think this year they were number ranked number three. They have traditionally been ranked, um, around third or fourth in the U S news beauty contest. They Um, see
2: number one in their
3: sites. They see number one on their sites. And I know people at the university of Chicago and they believe, honestly, they believe that they are the best law school in the country and that they have never been given the credit that they deserve. Um, and I think they feel as though, OK, so uh, Yale and Stanford, which are ranked ahead of us, are, have now pulled out. Maybe they'll get punished by U.S. news and ta-da, we'll get launched up into number one. I I, I believe the the deans who have pulled out, I know several of them, um, and I believe them, that they actually believe that the rankings undermine their ability to serve the cause of justice and the and the public good, and uh, God bless them. They're they're acting on their beliefs, I believe, but they're taking a risk.
2: Colin Diver, I'm so grateful for your time and for your work and research. Thanks for coming on the show.
3: Well, it's been my pleasure.
2: Colin Diver is the author of Breaking Ranks: How the Rankings Industry Rules Higher Education and What to Do About It. He also teaches law and economics at the University of Pennsylvania. And that's our show. If you're a fan of what we're doing here at What Next, the best way to show some support is to join Slate Plus. It's our membership program. You can see all kinds of great stuff, including all access to Slate.com and ad-free podcasts like this very podcast you're listening to right now. The way to join is to go on over to Slate.com slash What Next Plus right now. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Carmel Dalshad, and Madeline Ducharme. We are getting a ton of support right now from Anna Phillips, Jared Downing, and Victoria Dominguez. We are led by Alicia Montgomery and Joanne Levine. And I'm Mary Harris. I will be back in this feed bright and early tomorrow. I'll catch you then.